Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to this temple, to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and, and as in former years. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if it's not bad enough that the pastor won't let us sing the good Christmas songs just yet, here comes this particular Sunday and all of these different passages that not only do not allow us to completely lean into the celebratory nature of this season, but we have this today, a call for the people of God to look at themselves, understand that they are not quite yet where God wants them to be, and to, and this is a great Advent term, right, repent. Yeah, this is going to be a, a, a tough Sunday. If you came aching for songs like, I don't know, I Saw Mama Kissing Santa Claus or something like that, if you came really anticipating even a joy to the world kind of a sentiment, we don't get that today. What we get, what we get is this voice that asks us as the people of God, this very important question, are you Am I, are we ready for his arrival? Do you have things prepared? Do you have things straightened up? Are you ready for this arrival? Is there some cleansing that you need to take care of? Is there something in you that you need to take care of And is this the way in which we actually do take on then an Adventy sort of posture? Maybe this is the act of preparation that we're supposed to do during Advent. Maybe in what probably is going to feel a whole lot like Lent, maybe what we say in Advent is, Lord, do whatever it is you need to do to me, to us, so that we can be fully prepared for what it is that you want to do in and through us. Here's the thing. Christians don't much like, and I'm included here, much like it when somebody looks at us, maybe even points at us and says, time to repent. The image that I've gotten this week is like that of a cat that doesn't like to be cleansed. (laughs) Or dogs that don't like to be bathed. Like, hang in there, buddy. (laughs) Hang in there, dog. You know. I mean, kids, we don't always like this. Similarly, I, I don't think the people of God are necessarily super receptive to this assertion that perhaps we are not who we are supposed to be. 
at least not quite yet. And perhaps what we need to do is find an altar to say, God, I'm not yet who I'm supposed to be. God, only you can move me where I need to be. So we say this around here a lot, and we're going to keep saying it, and it's an important thing, and I want to make sure that we are all hearing it in the same sorts of ways. We, we say, it's already been said today, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. We will keep saying it because I want you to know something. God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. It's, 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 this is very important. I would say, I would say, in the lexicon of what makes us us, this is perhaps the most important phrase that we utter around here, and I hope that we utter it so often around here that it becomes a part of your imagination, it becomes a part of the filter through which you filter the rest of life, all of it. Here's what I'm not saying. When I say to you, God's mind about you is made up of the news is good, I'm not saying, consequently, you don't have to change anything. This is not license, nor is it cheap grace. Oh, this is super important. Because if you come in here each week and you know exactly what it is that you should not be doing, you know exactly what it is that you should not be saying, thinking, feeling, if you drag all that in here and you hear me say, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good, and you go, well, that's good because I don't really have the energy to deal with all of that. That is a cheap grace. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. God's mind about you is made up and the news is good, which means God believes that you are worth God's effort. But this message, message is not at all in uh, tension with this message. This is John the Baptist, an emaciated John the Baptist looks like. John the Baptist's call, and by the way, Malachi takes up today sort of the, uh, the posture of John the Baptist today. But John the Baptist's call to repent is in keeping with the first statement, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. These are not two separate issues. These thoughts are not in tension with one another. God says, I will have you. No matter what you drag into the sanctuary with you, God says, I will have you. I choose you. I want you. I see you as part of the means whereby this kingdom will be moved and advanced. And because that's the case, we've got to work on you. So please know that these two things are not at cross purposes. We cannot be the people who believe that the exercise of faith this is super important. We cannot be the people who believe that the exercise of faith, all the big and little things that we do, all of the rituals, all of the sayings, all of the songs, those things aren't meant to shape God's mind about us because God's mind about you is made up. And say it with me, and the news is. But all of these things that we do, the big and small things, the annual things, the monthly things, the weekly things, Hopefully, you and I, we have some things in our lives that fit into the category of the daily things that we do. Hopefully, understand that all of that is not meant to finally move God. It is all meant to finally move us. We're not doing this right if, in a year, if you stay with us every week 
if you stay with us every month, if you stay us throughout the liturgical seasons, we're not doing this thing right if in a year you don't have a greater capacity for Christ-likeness. God has not forgotten about the distance between who you are and who Christ is. God has not forgotten about the distance between who I am and who Christ is. But God has chosen me with that distance. God has chosen you with that distance. And God says, let's see what we can do about that distance. Does that make some sense? It's super important. It is, in fact, what it is that we're talking about today. I follow a few folks on Twitter. Um, It's going to sound funny. Some of whom are dead but continue to tweet really good stuff. And, and sometimes I just retweet some of, of that stuff, whether it's uh, Leslie Newbegin or Henry Nowen or folks like that, or E. Stanley Jones. E. Stanley Jones is a Methodist pastor and theologian who passed away in 1973. But man, I think he would be a great fit here. <laughs> I think he would make a, a great part of our community. And he's gonna help me kind of narrate throughout this sermon. It's going to help me kind of narrate us toward the end of this sermon. At the center of all of our spiritual and moral difficulties is a lack of self-surrender. Okay, we got one. (laughs) God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. In response, it is God's deepest hope that you will surrender. Everything. The way that you use and define words, the way that you define success, your appetites, your desires, your habits, anything that might fit into the category at any time might fit into the category of darkness. If I am to be the light in every situation, then no darkness can be tolerated in me. Okay, it may not feel like it, but I'm telling you, this is pretty good Advent stuff right here, right? Because Advent is about waiting. Advent is about anticipation. Advent is about preparation. We're not sitting around and waiting. We are actively participating in the waiting And you've heard this before, one of the more reliable metaphors is this one. When someone is with child, that person, and perhaps a whole family, is busy getting ready for the child. Advent is a lot like that. And today, the question is this. What needs to be worked on where you are concerned, where I am concerned, where we are concerned as an outbreaking of the kingdom, as a a member of this larger body of Christ, what darkness needs to be purged? When's the last time, it's a really personal question, so I can understand if you don't want to answer me out loud. In fact, please don't answer me out loud. (laughs) When's the last time you went to the altar knowing your guilt, needing for loving God, to wrap God's arms around you, 
to acknowledge your broken places in the hopes that, that God can move you to a better place. When's the last time? And God forgive me if I have not given us ample opportunities to acknowledge who we're not yet. When's the last time you or I felt that what kind of feels like a thumb in our backs to go and to use some older language that I remember? Get right. Remember that? Anybody else remember that? They weren't wrong. The folks who told us, hey, you need to get right with God, weren't wrong. In fact, hear Malachi say, hear John the Baptist say, hear me say today, it may be time to get right with God. No, let me change that. It's time to get right with God. When I say that, do you know what it is that God would like to work on where you are concerned? I kind of have an idea what it is where I'm concerned. I may even know what it is where we are concerned. To backtrack, one verse in front of where uh, Mike read for us today, the last verse of chapter 2. By the way, the book of Malachi is a, a whole collection of arguments between the people of God and God. And Malachi is sort of the intermediary, just kind of delivering the messages. Okay, well, people, here's what God said. Okay, all right. Okay, God, here's what the people said, right? And so there's a lot of this. And, and here is an interesting argument that they get into. Malachi says to the people, you all are wearing God out. You all are wearing God out with your words. And the people respond like, what? We're using churchy words. How are we wearing God out? How have we wearied him? And here's how. God says, you all are such complainers. Because here's what you're saying. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why does it seem like the bad people prosper? Little background information. This book, we believe that this book was constructed during what we're going to call the post-exilic period. If you have been in Jason's disciple class, you know we have this incredible and rich and important dark moment in our movement's history known as the exile. There were a couple of times when the people of God were ripped out of their homes and forced to serve somewhere else, forced to live somewhere else. The second time it was by the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire then was conquered by Persia, and after being conquered by Persia, the Babylonians really had no control anymore, and so the Persians allowed the people of God to trickle back to Jerusalem, to the ruins, the ruined wall, the ruined temple, and they came back in the hopes of trying to reconstitute a believing culture, a believing society, but people, it was hard. Economic hardship, violence, there was all kinds of stuff to, going around that caused them to wonder if God was paying attention. Have you ever been that person? Have you ever wondered if God was paying attention? Have you ever looked around to say, man, they look like they're doing well. By the way, they aren't Christian, God. How come they get to do so well? I'm doing my best here. Trying to be faithful. Trying to do the right things. 
How come that loser over there (laughs) is doing so well? Went as far as to say this. Where is this God of justice? This was wearing God out. These people were a lot like the people that Isaiah references in Isaiah 58. Another one of my very favorite passages and another passage that we think probably emanates from this same time period. The people of God were in desperate, desperate situations. I mean, their lives were hanging in the balance. They were poor, they were afraid, marginalized. And they were regularly coming to the places of worship and asking these very important questions. Where is God? Where is God? Where is God? And here is the thing. They started to do their movements of worship. They started to enter into their rituals of worship in ways. And here's where there may be something for us today. They participated in their believing communities and they participated in their rituals in ways that left God with the impression that in being participants, all they were really trying to do was shape God, move God, control God. Or haven't you ever been the person who says, God, if you can just help me with this chemistry test, I will go to Africa. Or haven't you ever been the person who says, okay, God, I will do all of this, but I really need this. I mean, what is it that you and I seek to do when we get here? I am telling you, and I've seen it up close and personal when I look in the mirror. (laughs) I've seen it In other folks, I've seen it in other churches, I think we have some of it here too that we need to think through and work through. I think sometimes the exercise of faith is a giant project done in the hopes of remaking God in our own image. Let's sing it one more time so maybe God will finally dislike the people we dislike. We can move God so that God will finally dislike the people we dislike. Let's sing it one more time, and maybe God will be so pleased with us that I'll finally get fill in the blank. People, why do you do what you do as you participate in communion, as you participate, as the offering plate is passed, as you stand and sing? What is your motivation? Is there anything in us that is anything like these people way back when who somehow believed, man, if we do this just right, we will obligate God to do what we really, really deeply need God to do? All of that is what we probably ought to call remaking God in our own image. I'm going to really start meddling here, and I apologize ahead of time, right? But in thinking through this message this week, I started thinking about all the different ways that we have in our North American context, we have tried to make faith 
more palatable to our congregations. And just watch this. I'm not, and I'm not saying that any of these things are necessarily sinful in and of themselves. These are merely observations. Ready? Okay. We want to make sure that we have church at a time that is convenient for you. Right? We want to make sure that we package the worship experience in ways that at least address your entertainment sweet tooth. We want to make sure in some places that we package the gospel and package God in ways that support the way that you want to enter into the ballot box. It feels like to me, and I'm not saying that we are innocent because I think there are different ways that we perhaps have done the same thing because I gotta tell you, we, we want you to come. But is there a point at which we negotiate a way the difficult parts of the gospel by making sure that this is all palatable, pleasing, nummy chocolate cake. <laughs> the term that Ron and I work on, sorry. Inside joke, sorry. I'll talk to you about it later. Listen, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong. But I am suspicious that if someone's going to get mad at me when we go past 1159, if someone's going to be upset if we don't have just enough dry ice, if someone's going to be mad that we aren't packaging ourselves in such and such ways, if someone's going to get mad because I don't exactly align or the church doesn't exactly align with their political opinions, I, I, it could be just me, but I am suspicious that that person who gets upset about all that kind of stuff is probably not turning the other cheek. Loving one's enemy, an opposite, an irritant. And I'm telling you, in so many different ways, and I don't want it to be this place, and we'll take a fresh look at everything, and I hope you'll help me do this. In so many different ways, I'm concerned that the gospel, especially in North America, <laughs> has too often catered to the consumer. And in the process, in the process, we have remade God in our own image. And in the process, we find ourselves perhaps having more in common with these people than we want because there's something about that particular DNA that causes us to look around and say, wait a minute, I want to be successful like them. Wait a minute, I want to, I want to be as popular as them. Wait, I want to have as much stuff as them. And so to the believing community, every once in a while comes a messenger. A messenger whose message can be summed up perhaps in two statements. One, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. And repent. Repent. 
Literally, turn, be reoriented. Turn your face to God's face and be changed by the face of God. Malachi says, okay, you guys ache for the rescue of God. God, come on in here and rescue us. Malachi says, are you sure you're ready for that? (laughs) Who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. What I'm saying is perhaps the church. I don't think I'm stepping on a limb here, right? What I'm saying is perhaps the church in North America needs to be refined. What I'm also saying is perhaps the people in the pews that comprise the church, each of us and all of us, perhaps we need to be refined as well. You don't seem very excited about that, so I'm just going to hear The kind of repentance, the kind of confession, the seeking after forgiveness, you need to understand that, understand this. It is not just so that we can then stand up and say, got it, I'm pure. Got it. No longer sinful. Whew, God's not mad at me anymore. I would remind you, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. And so we don't repent to somehow change God. We don't confess and seek forgiveness in the hopes of changing God. We repent and we confess. We seek forgiveness in the hopes that God might change us. And here is the larger why. The answer to the larger question of why. So that God can continue to use each of us and all of us to spread the gospel. Listen, God's greatest hope for you is not just that you would repent. That's great. But it's a step in a process that's much bigger and better than all of that. Does God need to purify you, me, us? Yes. But does God after something bigger than just our purity? Yes. What is God after, you say? Everything, all of it, complete and utter restoration. And God can do that work more quickly, more efficiently through people who offer themselves up to be purified. John Calvin says it like this. The power of the fire we know is twofold. It burns and it purifies. It burns what is corrupt, but it purifies gold and silver from their dross. I found this. You're going to love this. I found this in one of the commentaries this week. A silversmith knows (laughs) that the refining process is complete only when he or she 
observes her own image reflected in the mirror-like surface of the metal. Oh, really? There should be more of you weeping at this point, right? I'm going to read that again because maybe, maybe then there'll be more weeping. <laughs> A silversmith knows that the refining process is complete only when she observes, he or she observes his or her own image reflected in the mirror-like surface of the metal. Here's what we say around here about sanctification. Thank you, Dr. Green, for giving us this language. Here's what sanctification is. It is the process whereby the image of God with which we are all stamped. Everybody remember that? It is the process whereby this image of God with which we have all been stamped is recovered, repaired, or revealed. Okay, in other words, our capacity to be the body of Christ is connected to this Advent posture of repentance. Our capacity to be tools in the hands of God to further the purposes of God is connected to this Advent posture of repentance, purification, confession, Forgiveness. There is a larger thing that God wants to do, and God will better be able to do the larger thing that God wants to do if you'll finally own that you have darkness that needs to be rooted out. Most people do not break down from overwork, but from underbeing. <laughs> How good is that? Created as we are in the image of God. When we finally can drive out this darkness, these impurities, what we find is that this is the point at which we are most human. Most human. So far from feeling like when I say to you week after week, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good, far from that being some sort of cheap grace that does not mean that somehow you need to work on whatever it is that you dragged in here with you, what I'm saying is, is this to you. Absolutely work on whatever this is that you're dragging in here with you because as you put that all in God's hands, the God who continues to choose you even when you're dark and broken sees something in you in fact, it's a reflection of his own face. And God, if God can give, can get you all the way back there, can do things in and through you that you never would have dreamed, in and through us that we never would have dreamed. Nothing exalts the soul or gives it a sheer sense of buoyancy and victory so much as being used to change the lives of other people. Now, this was on full display yesterday. This is on full display when we do this giving tree thing. Well over 100 different families were served between giving tree and the Christmas blessing. Yesterday, what I think I enjoyed the most was watching as people sat down with people and shared themselves with other people. <laughs> it was a beautiful, it's a beautiful. Now, think with me.
That work is done by people who are at some level loving and selfless and sacrificial. Fair? The good work that we saw yesterday, and it was great, by the way. Thank you for all of you who helped to coordinate and put all of that together. We're already making big plans for next year. That may or may not in include teens dressing up as elves. Amen. Okay. What we saw yesterday, we saw because people at some level were willing to be selfless and loving. But what if we were to recover each of us and all of us in its fullness? the image of God on our lives? What if we were emptied, each of us and all of us, of all but love? What if? What if there were a few people or a group of people or a sanctuary full of people who would say, whatever it takes, Whatever it takes, I will be emptied of all but love. Do you think that God might be able to do more or less with us? Quickly step up on my soapbox. I'll step right back down. I promise I won't be up there for very long. I would submit to you, again, that part of the reason we have a state with so many social ills is because we have a church in the state with such a narrow, thin gospel. And if we were committed to being remade in the image of God, rather than being so committed as sometimes we seem to be into remaking God in our own image, I think we could go a long way. Listen, I know there's audacity in this, but here's what I believe. I believe that we could fix the state I can get more audacious than that. You ready? God, with a group of people emptied of everything but love, could fix creation. And you want to know why? Because God wills it. I shall go into everything today with the faith that everything can be changed for God wills it. I am appreciative to the church board uh, and to you for giving me the, the freedom to moonlight a bit. Not too long ago, I was contacted by a couple of different organizations to see if, and, and, and it's really, and I gotta be honest with you, I got asked to be an advocate, to work as an advocate for certain uh, world issues like international poverty because people know of your reputation in our neighborhood. That's why I was asked to help out with the One Campaign and to work on chronic poverty, to, to take your input and to go sit before elected leaders and to say, hey, your vote matters, elected leader, and I'm hoping that I can help you to see how important that this vote is, like the one that's coming up on whether or not we will fund 
PEPFAR, which is actually something started by uh, Bono and George Bush a long time ago. George Bush said, yeah, we need to curb this AIDS epidemic. And here's the thing, because we have continued to pour money into it, this epidemic that was, was at one point thought to have the capacity to wipe out whole countries, we have taken that rapid rate of growth and we have bent that thing flat. And if we keep after it, we'll bend it back down because you know why? God wills it. All of us are here, are all searching our souls for how to better serve our family, our community, our God. The one thing we can all agree, all ideologies, is that God is with the vulnerable and the poor. And God is with us if we are with them. That's what God's doing, that's what he's calling us to do. People of faith, let's get involved in what God is doing. And churches started organizing petitioning on AIDS and global health. Governments listened and acted. But there's so much more to do. This is not about charity, it's about justice. You hear that call on the One Campaign. The girl in Africa who gets to go to school. The African entrepreneur who can start a small family business the AIDS patient who gets her medicine. On we go in the pursuit of justice, united in the belief that where you live should no longer determine whether you live. I only get involved with things that I know can be understood as nonpartisan or bipartisan. More importantly, I get involved with things that I think can put some skin and flesh on our belief, our belief, that God can change it all. We're not going to mess with this today, but if you would like to, in the future, starting next week, if you'd like to make your voice heard, we'll make that possible for you to make your voice heard. What I want you to hear today is the voice of John the Baptist. Prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. He's actually just now unfolding what he means and what the implications are, the ramifications are when the people of God repent and are reoriented to the face of God. Prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. What do you want out of your faith? What do you want out of your faith? I'd like a guarantee that bad things won't happen to me. Wrong place. What do you want out of your faith? I'd like a promise that if I do the right things, then God will give me the best things. Wrong gospel. But if you would like to see <laughs> what it might look like that all flesh would see the salvation of God, they're in the right place. And here's what you need to do. Repent. Make sure that you are oriented such that God can, in fact, move and flow through you to bring some sense of salvation in all of its forms, in any of its forms, 
through you to others. But it does start. It starts with the heart of God for you. You hearing me when I say God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. And then what comes next is you saying, okay, then how can I so closely align myself with this God that I can say with deep conviction, sure, there is a gap between who I am and who Christ is, but with God's help, I am narrowing that gap. And that's what we do each week. If you're coming to help us with communion today, go ahead and come on. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And with them, God, strengthen us so that we will have just enough courage and strength to recognize our need to repent. As we take into our bodies these tangible expressions of your love, broken body and shed blood, we today make ourselves available to you, vulnerable to you, so that you can in fact point out how it is that we are not yet Christ-like. At the same time, Lord, may we see how there is at this table unlimited resource for forgiveness. Not license so that we can leave here unchanged, but forgiveness. May we hear and see and sense in this small ritual your eternal commitment to us and to our Christ-likeness, to our sanctification, to the process whereby you somehow are able to see your reflection in and on us. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet and exit your pew to the left and to come forward then with your hands cupped. This is important, please come forward with your hands cupped to receive that which can't be gotten any other way because this, my friends, is grace. It is grace that chooses you regardless of where you are on the journey in the process. It is a grace that refuses to leave you where you are, no matter where you are on the journey or in the process. As you come forward to a person holding a plate of bread, that person will snap off a piece, press it into your hands, look at you and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, don't eat it just yet, but dip it into the cup. When you do, that person holding that cup will say to you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And people, you and me, all of us together, we are at that point somehow judged there is a standard that we are taking into our bodies there, and we can see pretty clearly at that point how far off we are, but we also believe that in the process of remembering and participating, we are moved toward Christ-likeness. So take and eat. A tangible expression of forgiveness a resourcing forgiveness, and then, if you would, find a place to pray. Maybe it's at one of these side padded altars where people come for prayers for healing. Someone will meet you there and pray that prayer for healing, any kind of healing you might need, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, familial, 
relational. Or perhaps you'll want to come to one of these mourners benches, these kneeling benches here. And, and we, won't, we won't assume anything if you come to pray at one of these altars, but we will at some point come and touch you, the back, the head, the neck, the shoulder, just so you can know again, be reminded again that you are not alone because you're not alone. Or you can circle right back around and pray a powerful prayer at your seat. I know you can. I know God hears it. But I hope that you will pray this prayer. God, I hope you will raise your voice and pray this prayer. God, refine me. What is there in me that needs to be cleansed, moved, purified, driven out? I dare you to pray, pray that prayer. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, lovingly broken for you, and every time you eat of it, remember me. The same way later he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, and every time you drink it, remember me who is welcome at this table. If you understand your need for grace, then you are welcome at this table no matter what you brought with you today. If you can't come to us, we will come to you. And if at some point you would like to make a special trip, there is a small bowl of water here meant to remind you, remind you of your baptism, a spot for you to perhaps renew your vows, your baptismal vows that is always available to you. And now across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.